Bon voilà. Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 2. What does it look like when people are filled with the Holy Spirit? What effect do you see? What's it look like? Um, do they fall down on the floor? Do they faint? Um, do they cry? Do they laugh uncontrollably? Do they um, make animal noises? Um, do they strut? Um, you know, make big gestures? Do they um, sing loudly when they're filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it look like when people are filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, this is a moment where I would love for you to get into groups and discuss it and then report back. But kind of like, you know, in Bordeaux Church, we're fairly adventurous, but that is a step too far. So we're not going to do that. But I would love for you to reflect in your mind just for a moment about what you think it looks like when people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And I'm just going to pause briefly while you do that. What do you think? Now, at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? And then Peter, in his sermon, he says, look, he says to the crowd, and there's a big crowd, there are thousands of people. Peter says to the big crowd, look, he said, this is a promise for everyone who will repent and believe, okay? So he says this promise is, he, in these words, he says it, this promise is for you, okay? And then we discover that 3,000 people, in fact, more, because in those days they only counted the guys. I don't know why they only counted the guys, but that's what they did. Um, three, more than 3,000 people repented and believed. They, they turned from their old way of life and they believed in Jesus Christ as their saviour. And so they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they received new life. They received eternal life. They received the life of the age to come. And it broke out that day in Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands of people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did it look like? It looked like this. Verse 42 to 47. And I'm going to read these verses to you. This is what it looks like when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? I'm promising you this on the basis of God's word here. You can, you can follow it for yourself. This is what it looks like when people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Just listen. It's awesome. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The life of the age to come New life in Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, consists of new relationships. That's what it is. It's new relationships. You come into a new relationship with God. 
the God who made you, you discover he's your father and you relate to him as your father. And you come into new relationships with the people around you. And the essence of the spirit-filled life we find right here. New relationships. Yeah? A new relationship with God and a new relationship with the people around you. New relationships with God and with one another. I hope you can see that. Um, I hope you can understand what Luke is, is uh, impressing on us. Uh, and we're going to go through it kind of, kind of slowly and kind of uh, methodically. Um, poor Seal and I had a massive text last week and I've only got like six verses. So it's, it's easy this week. Poor Seal and I had a hard job last week. But I got an easy job. So that's good. Um, it suits me. Um, so uh, a new relationship, firstly with God and then with people around us, okay? So this is going to be our structure, our new relationship with God, okay? Then we're going to talk about our new relationship with one another. And then we're going to talk about some, some implications, some practical implications for me and for you. Because I don't want to pretend that I find relationships easy. I don't. And I imagine that you, like me, find relationships hard as well, okay? So I'm not saying it makes it easy, but I am saying it makes it all new, all right? So that, that's what we're going to do. So relationship with God. What does a relationship consist of? How do you have relationships with people? Well, you listen to them and you talk to them. Relationships are about communication, aren't they? Um, there are some old married couples here. Um, been married kind of like some months now. Uh, that's, that's a wonderful thing. And there's some people contemplating marriage. Going to be married in a couple of days. Um, and, um, you know, one of the big issues is communication. You've got to talk to each other. And especially guys, you know, kind of like we find it so hard, don't we? Because, anyway, never mind, let's not go there. But anyway, communication. <laughs> You've got to listen to what people say. And you've got to understand what they mean. Because what they mean may not be quite what they... Anyway, never mind, let's not go there. Um, yeah, so you've got to listen to what people say. You've got to understand them. And you've got to, you've got to tell them what you want to say. Communication is really, really important. And our relationship with God is just like that as well. Look, these people, they listen to God devotedly. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, in these days, in the early days of the church, the apostles are doing the teaching. Uh, because everyone's in Jerusalem, the apostles are all together, the disciples are all together, it's practical, okay? But that situation doesn't last long. Before long, we find that um, people are sent everywhere, all over the, the world, and some of those people are not apostles, okay? So later on, other people start teaching. And then later on, the apostles all go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's left to other people who are not apostles to do the teaching. But we can't teach what we think. We've got to teach what the apostles said. So we're still handing on the apostles' teaching, okay? So we're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles' teaching here is reinforced by uh, awesome signs and wonders. I say that because, uh, Luke says, everyone kept being filled with awe. 
that the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So as the apostles taught, so they were uh, performing these signs and wonders. What, what were they doing? Well, we, we read later on of them healing people, uh, typically. Um, making people well, like that. And um, that reinforced the teaching that they gave. And you can read about that. There's a couple of texts that I'll just throw out to you. We're not going to turn to them. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about how the apostles' teaching was reinforced by the things that they did. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 talks about how his teaching was authenticated by the things that he did. And so people listened to God. And we still do that today. Why do, why do we have preaching? Why do we have Bible studies? Why do we have um, catechisms? Why are we doing all this? Because we need to listen to God. Um, I can't remember what the subject was, but we were talking about something the other day. And um, it was some political thing or other, you know, or sales of, of things or attitudes to this, that and the other. And we thought, yeah, it's propaganda, isn't it? It gets inside your head. If anyone can remember what we were talking about, then do say. But, you know, it's like that, isn't it? It comes at you all the time. Buy this, buy that. You need this, you need that. Vote this way, vote that way. Think like this, think like that. There's a propaganda war going on. You know, they get in your head. They change the way you think. They really do. Um... And uh, so we need to listen to God because God teaches us how we should think. He puts our mind straight. He untangles it all for us and gets us thinking straight. So the apostles' teaching. But also there's another way in which they listen to God. Look at uh, how Luke carries on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now, sometimes... When Luke talks about the breaking of bread or to breaking bread, he just means eating together. Because in, especially in Jewish culture, you began a meal by picking up the bread and breaking it. That's how you did. That, that was like start of the meal, break the bread. Um, but here, if you look, he says it twice, breaking of bread. And then later on, verse 46, they broke bread in their homes. So what is he saying here? Well, I think he's talking about the communion service. He's talking about the way that we break bread, just like Jesus broke bread. Do you remember? He broke bread and gave it to them, saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What's he doing? He's saying, make sure that in your lives, you're focused on the love that Jesus Christ has shown you at the cross when he paid the debt for all your sin. Otherwise, you'll carry a load of guilt. Otherwise, you'll never understand that you belong to him and not to yourself. Otherwise, there are all sorts of messes that you'll get your head into. You need to remember how much he loves you. You may feel unloved. You may feel unloved and lonely and unappreciated. And when you come to the Lord's table, you take the bread, you drink the wine, you remember that someone loved you so much that he died for you. He took the cross for you. 
He took his father's wrath for you. He paid the price for you. And that is awesome, isn't it? Nobody has ever loved you that much. And so we listen to God by the apostles' teaching and by the breaking of bread. But also we talk to God. We need to talk to God. Our relationship is made not just of, of listening. Boy, we've got to listen, you know. Listen. But also we've got to talk, you know. What is on your mind? What is, what is <coughs> troubling you? What is going on in your heart? What is it? And so they talk to God. Look, um, they devoted themselves to prayer. Later on in the service, we will break into groups and we will pray. And it's really important that we learn to pray individually. Tell God about everything that's going on in your life. He cares about it all. There is nothing that you need to hide from him. And nothing that is so big that he can't uh, cope with it. And nothing that is so small that he's not interested in it. You can tell him about everything that's going on in your life. So talk to him individually. Talk to him on the way to class. Talk to him on the way to work. Talk to him in your break time. Say, oh, I'm so fed up with this stupid job, you know. I've got nothing to do and I've got to look busy. Or I'm so busy and I don't know how I'm going to clear all of this. Talk to God about your work, you know. I feel so lonely in my work. Nobody understands what I'm doing. Uh, just, just tell him all about it. Tell him about your class. Tell him about your struggles. Tell him about everything. Tell him about your joys. Tell him how wonderful um, things are, you know. Um, but also talking to God in praise. Look at verse 47. Praising God. We have so much to praise God for. Um, you know this morning, we live in a flat with a balcony. If you've never been to our flat, you really must come. So please come to our flat and visit us at our flat. Uh, we will feed you when you come. It might not be very good food, but we will feed you. Um, but um, this morning, I was stood on our balcony, looking out over the balcony, and the sun, you know when the sun uh, gets you and warms you? I thought, whoa, I'd forgotten what was, this was like all those days in Scotland. I'd forgotten what it was like to feel the warmth of the sun. Um, no, they do have the sun in Scotland. But, you know, it's just so good, isn't it? It's on your face. And you think, would I? No, I won't tan. But, you know, uh, at least I feel the warmth, you know? It's just so good to feel the warmth of the sun. God has made us like that. He's made these little pleasures because he loves us. He's made the big joys because he loves us. He's made a variety of different things in life because he loves us. Uh, and he's more than all of that, he's won us back to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Loves us so much he sent his own son, an eternal plan to win us back to himself because he loves us. And we can praise him so much for all that he has done for us. And so uh, they did this continually. They devoted themselves to it. And this is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means to have this relationship with God where we listen to him and we talk to him. And that, that, um, that relationship has been restored by the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? It's really important that we grasp that. I grew up being sent to church. I learned words. I sang songs. 
I recited, well, I didn't recite them, I chanted psalms. I paraded around in robes. Hard to imagine, but it's true. Um, we used to be paid half a crown for a wedding because we would parade in front of the bride. In front of the bride, we came in um, and, and all of this kind of thing. You know, I did all of these things, but I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't in relationship with God. It was just stuff I did. And it's really important to remember that to be a Christian, it's not just stuff you do. It's a relationship with God. Some of you could tell a similar story where you, you did stuff, but then there came a day when you came alive and there was this relationship with God. Okay? So relationship with God. Relationship with one another. We got this word. Look at this word in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. You know, I hate this word now. Um, I do wish they would use a different word in the Bible than fellowship because what does it mean? You know, if I went round the room and said, what does fellowship mean? Some of you would go, I don't know. Uh, others of you would have a stab at it. Um, go on, somebody shout out. What does it mean, fellowship? Anybody want to have a stab at a meaning of fellowship? Maybe. Sorry? I yeah, yeah, I'm glad you said that. I'm sad you said it first because I was hoping to get some really dodgy answers first. But, you know, yeah, fellowship is, is it's not just having a cup of tea and a crisp after the service, you know. Uh, fellowship is not just half an hour on a Sunday once the fellow has stopped talking and we've sung our last song. Uh, that is not fellowship. I mean, it's part of fellowship, but it's not enough. Fellowship is, it's a big word. It means sharing. Uh, it means, uh, here is a word that only the British people will understand, and perhaps some people from the colonies, commonwealth. What does that mean? It means things that you have in common, you know, uh, wealth that you have in common. Uh, partnership, probably the best word now. Partnership, being partners in life. And here they are in, in verse 44. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Isn't that amazing? They sold property. They sold their stuff and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Isn't that amazing? This is what fellowship means. It means belonging together. It means your family. It means your family. It really does. So it's more than half an hour, a cup of coffee and a cake. Uh, it's generosity, it's sensitivity to needs, it's, it's knowing one another and caring about one another. Now, what does that mean in practice? Well, it means spending time together, and not just on a Sunday. You know, we need to meet for coffee, we need to walk together, we need to talk together, we need to pray together, we need to spend time together. Otherwise, we will lead lonely lives punctuated by an hour or two of togetherness uh, once a week. Oh, you know, we can do better than that, can't we? Really. Um, it means eating together gladly. That's what they did, didn't they? Um, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Um, and so it's a relationship that's intimate. It's close. But it's not exclusive. It's inclusive. They're willing to be seen. 
and they're willing to welcome. And so they welcome people in. And people uh, are added to the number daily. New folk um, come in and, uh, and join with them. And that's why it's so important for us here in Bordeaux Church to be a welcoming community. What does that mean? That means when new people arrive, we go up and say hello. Hello, what's your name? Oh, you were here last week. I'm sorry, I forgot. Um, if it's me, you know. Um, try not to forget. Um, but yeah, we, to, to, to be a welcoming group and to welcome people in, to bring people into the heart of the group. Okay? Now we're going to talk a bit more about this um, later on when we talk to, about practical stuff. Um, but in that way, together, we grow like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I was struck by something in this passage which might not be there. So that's a health warning, okay, before I say what I'm going to say. But at the end of Luke chapter 2, Luke says, And the child, talking about Jesus, grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. And here at the end of Acts 2, Luke says, um, They were praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people, and the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. And you can see the same idea of growing in favour with God and with men. And I just wonder whether Luke is saying that together they're growing more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, I haven't dug enough to, to be absolutely convinced of that link. But it, it seems to be there. Okay. So relationship with God, relationship with one another. What does that mean for us practically? Well, um, yesterday morning, there was a little committee meeting where a couple of us um, talked about uh, this passage, really, and what the fullness of the Spirit meant in this passage and and all kinds of stuff like that. We talked about our backgrounds and all all kinds of things. And um, one person raised this really interesting point, which had completely escaped me. And they said this. They said, look... In this passage, really, it's all about submission, isn't it? I thought, is it? And they said, yeah. Um, Because you're not just insisting on what you want. You're willing to be part of the group and to care about other people. And that was a seed that took us in in a wonderful direction. Because one of the things we see when the Holy Spirit... Is, is in someone, yeah? When someone is full of the Holy Spirit, is we see the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Anyone recite the fruit of the Spirit? Can anyone do it? Great. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah? So the, the, the Holy Spirit, what does he give to us? He gives to us relational fruit relational fruit that is what the fruit of the spirit is about it's about it's about how you are in your relationships i mean love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness and self-control you know these these are a relational fruit And then we thought about uh, together Ephesians chapter 5. Do you remember how in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is telling people not to be drunk with a lot of wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Hang on a minute, um, I can't find it now. Here we are, verse 18. 
of chapter 5 of Ephesians. Don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And all those are... um, uh, are dependent verbs on being filled with the Spirit. All of those explain what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And so fullness with the Spirit, the way we put it is this. With people like us, it takes the fullness of the Holy Spirit for us to be able to submit. Yeah? With people like us, it takes the fullness of the Holy Spirit for us to be able to submit. Because we are so naturally self-centered. You know, we see out of our own eyes. We feel in our own hearts. It's really difficult for us to, to exit from our own self-centeredness. Uh, if we're going to do this, we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, and so the Holy Spirit, he teaches us to submit and he builds community. The fullness of the Spirit builds community. Now, remember that, okay? Please remember that, because there will be times when people will talk to you about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but it's all about kind of like you and what you feel. And actually, the fullness of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is about us and how we live. It's much, much bigger. So that's the first thing, fullness of the Holy Spirit, what that means for us. Second thing, and this is, this is where kind of like... Um, I realize that this is quite a difficult subject for most of us here. What about community and introverts? People who are shy. People who find relationships hard. People who find it difficult to talk to other people. To go up to new people and say, hello, what's your name? You know, Uh, to walk into a room full of people. Um, you kind of think, well, already to walk into a room for a people is an issue, but now you're telling me I've got to go in and talk to them? Alan, you know, this is like asking a lot of me. And I know that lots of people here are like that. And not only that, but you can take that a step further because some of us, you know, we, we freak. We really freak out. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. It it can be really, really hard. Now listen, the Holy Spirit does not make people pushy and upfront. He's not the Holy Spirit of flashiness. He's not. And what most people need is not someone who will kind of bounce up to them, you know, tigger-like, burst into their lives, People who come quietly alongside you and talk to you one-to-one can reach you in a way that bouncy people can't. So please, I realize that for some of us it's really hard to, to go up to new people. It's just really hard and crowded rooms. I mean, you know, um, that's why in most parties the, the kitchen kind of like is really crowded because everyone wants to get out. You know, they want to get out into a quiet place and hide Um, you're not the only one who feels like that. I can tell you sincerely, you are not the only one. Many of us here feel like that. A couple of things. One, 
Put the accent on friendship. Because one of the things about flashy people is it's easy to have kind of superficial friendships. But people who take more time, it goes deeper. That's a good thing, isn't it? A deeper friendship. Uh, time, patience, sensitivity, flexibility. And the willingness to dare to, to go outside your comfort zone. Um, to dare. Um, and to pray. God, please, in my case, God, please help me not to say anything stupid that I'm going to regret in 10 minutes' time. Please, please help me to keep my trap shut and my ears open. Um, I, yeah, never mind. Third thing. So first thing was fullness of the Holy Spirit. Realize what it is, what, what the Holy Spirit comes to do. He comes to build community. Uh, community and introverts, yeah, it's really hard. It is really hard. But hard things are the best, you know? That's why diamonds are so valuable. They're really hard, but they're the best. Okay, it's a different hard thing. Third thing, keep the essentials essential. We talked about um, yesterday the different churches that we've been in, our previous churches. Now, one person had been in a house church that met in a flat. Uh, another person had been in a church of a thousand people. A thousand people. They didn't meet in a flat. Not a thousand of them. Um, we had people who had been in kind of churches that were really, really structured. And we had people who had been in churches that were really not structured at all. Um, and and the, the variety of experience of our previous churches... If we went round the room in Bordeaux Church and said, what was your previous church like? We would have 50 different previous churches, and they would all be so different. But you see, the genius of what God has done here is he's given us essentials which can be applied in loads of different contexts, situations, climates, political situations, here is the essence, and, and it's just genius, because whatever situation you're in, and even extreme situations, you can live this, you can live this. Um, we were talking about, there's a country in the world where Christians, officially there are no meetings of Christians in that country, okay? There's probably more than one country, but there's only one that comes to my mind. But I bet there are, I bet there are Christians that meet together. Because you can meet in four or five, uh, you can meet in the back of a cafe, you can meet in someone's flat, you can move from place to place, you know? Um, the essentials are so basic that you can meet in the forest. You can do this in the forest. You don't need bells, you don't need towers, you don't need organs, you don't need music groups, you don't need anything. All you need is people who love God and love one another. And that is awesome, isn't it? There will never be... Uh, in this world, a situation where the Christian church cannot flourish. Because God has given us something genius. It is most awesome what God has done. Yeah? Um, for us in Bordeaux, that's really interesting because we are uh, trying to reach the city. We want to reach the center of Bordeaux with the gospel. And we pose the question, what is the easiest thing to do in, in the center of Bordeaux? Imagine we had a church of 450 people. Where would we meet in the central Bordeaux? Anyone, anyone got any ideas of where we could 
fit 450 people in the middle of Bordeaux? It's not easy, is it? Uh, maybe you could buy a theater if a theater closed down. But you know, it's, it's a tough, tough um, act to do, really. But imagine we had nine churches of 50 people, 450 people, but in groups of 50. Then it's much easier, you know? And so with flexibility, um, God has given us a, 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 um, a blueprint here that is really flexible, okay? Next thing, and there's too many of these, so I'm sorry about this. But the next thing, when we, when we come as Christians to belong to God's church, come to give and not just to receive. Don't come with your shopping list of, of your needs. Come with your awareness of other people's needs. And not just your shopping list of what you have to give, because it may be that what you think you have to give is not what other people need. And you can adapt, you can adapt to people's situations. When I come to church and I think, how is this church going to fulfill my needs? It's the kiss of death. It really is. But when we come to the church and we think, these are my people, what can we do together? It's a whole different thing. Okay? Um, next thing. Our cities today. You know, we, we live in a city of about 800,000 people in Bordeaux. In central Bordeaux, 240,000 people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of friends. And yet people feel isolated. People feel lonely. Um, God's answer is what? God's answer is you. God's answer is his church. Yeah? To welcome people in and to show people what our life can be like. To show people what it's like when we, we know God's love and we share God's love together. Don't underestimate how powerful that sharing of love can be. Because love speaks strong. And then the last thing. When we live like this, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another... This is, this is the future. This is God's future that we are starting to live now. This is what it means to live eternal life. Because eternal life is not something you get when you die. Eternal life is something you get when you begin to live in Jesus Christ. He gives you eternal life starting now. And what is that? It's a restored relationship with God and a restored relationship with one another. When we enter into the presence of Jesus, either through death or when he returns, all that will be happening is that that will enter into a fuller reality. It won't be a, um, a different thing. It will be a bigger thing. Yeah? A bigger thing. And so here is eternal life offered to you now. Do you want it? You could know God as your loving Heavenly Father. Do you want that? You could know a relationship with people from all over the world with whom you share very little culturally. And yet, because you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you share your life, your life. And that is what God has given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it means to live the fullness of the Holy Spirit now. Well, that's something to pray for, isn't it? 
to pray that God would fill us with his Holy Spirit and make us that kind of community. Whether you're 3,000, whether you're 30, uh, it's the same thing that you're living. And so God calls us to, to live something real and something essential and something um, that, is, that is so relevant to the days that we live in and to every day and to every culture, every country. We're going to pray. Let's pray before we sing again.